Um, so we are, we're, so just so you know, if you're curious, um, the, our young people are continuing on in our lectionary. Um, so that's why in this season of, of Lent, their, their stories sometimes haven't been the same as we're telling up here, because we've, we've, we've veered off course, and we went into the book of Esther while they're staying the course through our Lenten readings. Um, but today I, I want to talk about clothes for a minute. Um, clothes can, can do some funny things, clothes can. They can make you feel like a completely different person. Like, like this robe, it, it makes me feel more important. <laughs> Bigger, holier even. Ah, uh, right, I'm standing, no, there it is. There's my light, find your light, Mike, there it is. And yet, I, I, I'm the exact same person underneath my robe, right? But, but, but what do they say? The clothes make the man, or you are what you wear, right? You're also what you eat, which makes me not be able to wear some of the things I'd like to. But the funny thing about clothes, though, is that this robe may make me feel one way, but that doesn't guarantee that it'll make you feel the same way as you're looking at me. Right? Like, like, what do y'all think? Does, how does this robe make me look? All right. Do I look important? A little, a little heavy. Thank you. Thank you. It's puffy. It's puffy. Anybody think I look ridiculous? Like my daughter, when I, when I walked down the hall, I said, good morning. She looked at me and said, why are you wearing that? <laughs> right? But... Would, would anybody here, actually, here's a question. Like, would anyone prefer if, if your pastor, me or anyone, wore a robe every week? A few of us, hey. Would it feel more like church? Would it feel holier? It, it's funny, though, sometimes there, there can be that disconnect between what, what our clothes say to us and what our clothes say to the people around us. So here's, here's an awkward example. It's probably one of the most awkward moments in my life, so thank you for this therapy session. But um, Liz and I, we, we went to a, a, a small college, like a tiny college. Like this is, this is it, actually. There were fewer students at our college than there are at Grain Valley High School, and there were even fewer students in the town in which our college was situated than there were in the college. So we were pretty isolated. Even if we wanted to go somewhere, there wasn't anywhere to go. But we kept ourselves entertained in sometimes strange ways. So one weeknight, my senior year, a fraternity brother of mine and I, we got a hold of a, of a rubber Batman mask. And now Andy and I, we were both theater majors, and we were bored because we were between shows. So naturally we decided to play dress-up, and a black sweatsuit and a trash bag later, and I was the Batman. And some construction paper and a, a, a speedo on the outside of his sweatpants later, Andy was Robin. <laughs> I, I won out in that one. So we worked hard, and, and we didn't want to keep it to ourselves, so, so we decided to go for a stroll, and eventually we walked over to Liz's sorority to share our creativity with her. We thought we were being ridiculous, absurd. We, we, we thought we were like just two bored guys with senioritis and way too much time on our hands. We, wearing these clothes for us was ironic. And in the 90s, thank you, Alanis, ironic was in, right? And so we're walking up to the sorority, and unfortunately the girls who saw us walking saw something completely different. Apparently they thought I had come to propose to Liz <laughs> in a Batman suit. 
needless to say, Liz didn't want to come to the door. <laughs> She's like, it's not going down like this. Not this way. This is not how I planned it. And when she finally called, came out and, and she told me what had gone down inside, I'm thinking, what kind of person would think that I would come propose in a Batman mask? And then it dawned on me. What does that say about me? Like that people would think it's perfectly consistent with who I am that I would show up to propose in a Batman mask. Well, you see, how I thought my outfit felt and what other people thought about my outfit were two very different things. I thought I was ironic. They saw me as overly sincere. That also helped me to realize how often is the person I think I am and the person that other people think you are are two very different things. How often are you the cheetah in your heart? (laughs) But in everyone's eyes, you're the basset hound with your ears just (laughs) flopping in the wind. Well, today, as we continue our Lent story, uh, with the beginning of Esther, chapter 5, we're going to see Esther all dressed up in her royal finery again, just like in chapter 2. Only this time, her clothes say something completely different. This time, I dare say it's a completely different Esther who's wearing them. And so this is Esther, chapter 5, verses 1 through eight. Check out what day this is, by the way, on the third day, right? We're coming up on Easter. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. And while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace, and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even up to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. And then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is it you wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we have come here today to feast with you. Today we will share in the meal that you have prepared for us as we share in the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Lord, 
that you might resurrect us this day. That you might hear a word, that we might hear a word from you that changes our clothes just a little bit. That changes how we look to others. That changes how we feel about ourselves. So it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. This is scripture, right? And, and, and in scripture, things tend to happen on the third day. Whales spit you out. <laughs> Queens get dressed up. Saviors rise from the dead. On the third day, people are completely changed, made new, resurrected. Now, the first time, you might remember, if you've been around here, the first time we saw Esther dressed up in, as royalty, chapter 2, she was a very different person. She had no real agency, no control over her fate. You might remember the king of Persia just told the, had the old queen, if, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow from Reverend Gilmore, borrow from the best, had the old queen shown out because she wouldn't show up. Yeah, you heard him. And so the king's advisors brought in all the beautiful young virgins from all the corners of Persia, and that included Esther, who was told by her cousin Mordecai to do what with her Jewish identity? Hide it. Keep it quiet. And so for 12 months she was made up, dolled up, dressed up, just to look like the king wanted, just like royalty. And whether you think that maybe Esther was just a scared young Jew in a foreign land being poked and prodded and manipulated by the people around her, or maybe you see in Esther a shrewd young woman manipulating the situation to keep her head above water and her head on her shoulders. There's no denying, though, that Esther was at the mercy of others, at the whim of others. And yet those clothes she was dolled up in did make the woman. She won the king's favor. And then the king's second in command, Haman, you can boo. There you go. He was given the king's ring. And that ring made a dangerous man more dangerous. As he decreed that all the Jews in Persia be slaughtered. Last week we heard that Esther's cousin Mordecai, how he responded to this news. Mordecai liked to stay close to the palace, by the way, to watch over her young, his, his younger cousin. She was the, he was the only family that that she had left. And when Mordecai heard the news that all the Jews would be slaughtered, like Jews all across Persia, Mordecai changed his clothes. He tore them, put on sackcloth and ashes, a sign of mourning and lamentation. But sackcloth and ashes? Those clothes didn't make the kind of man that the king wants around. And so Mordecai couldn't get any closer to Esther than the king's gate. No one dressed like Mordecai was dressed could enter the gate, could come near the presence of the king. And Esther, there inside the gate, inside the royal quarter, she couldn't understand why Mordecai was dressed this way. Esther couldn't understand why Mordecai was in mourning. Esther couldn't understand why Mordecai wouldn't accept a change of clothes from her which kind of struck me as odd, by the way, because why did Mordecai, or why did Esther have to go and learn why this was and what this was? 
Esther lived in the palace, for Pete's sake. Like she lived in the place where this decree was written about the Jews. How did she not know about this decree? The whole city we read of Susa, the whole city where she was lived, lived was thrown into confusion over this decree. Every Jew in Persia knew about this decree. And of all the decrees going on in Susa, you would have thought that Esther's ears would maybe have, have perked up over a decree ordering the slaughter of her people, of all the Jews. And so, exactly, uh-oh. And so it got me wondering, after years in the palace, after years of denying her heritage, after years of wearing those royal Persian robes, I wonder if those clothes hadn't made the woman into something or someone that she wasn't meant to be. I mean, you are what you wear, after all, right? And for the record, I am not this robe. <laughs> for real, I grew up in a, in, in a church where pastors wore robes like this always. And when I became a pastor, I was at a church that expected pastors to wear robes like this, and so I never worn a robe. I wasn't allowed to be in choir. I never wore a robe for any, and so I went to the Cokesbury store at, at seminary to get a robe so people would look at me and say, that is a pastor. And, and as I flipped through the, the thing, I saw one that was called the Charles Wesley. For real, that's the name. This, that's the style. This is the Charles Wesley. So thank you for playing my song today. Um, and, and, and my hope was, that when people saw me in this robe, they would think of me as important, holy, big. But me, I, I felt ridiculous <laughs> at first, ironic even, that I would be wearing this. And I, I didn't feel big, I felt puffy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look at this, it's, it's, it's got puffy sleeves. <laughs> it's a puffy robe for puffed up people. <laughs> And it didn't feel like me. That, that's why I'm wearing my Chuck Taylors today. <laughs> because that's me. And, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't hide myself in this robe. I needed to hold on to something of me. Something that has been part of me most of my life. I mean, I may very well have proposed to Liz in a pair of Chuck Taylors. I know my Batman wore them. And I'm pretty sure they were the only shoes I had in college. <laughs> Chuck Taylors, they're the old me. What I like to think of as, as the real me. And when I got this puffed up robe, that, that was the new me. And I struggled with that, you know, because this, this robe, it made me into a man that I, I didn't think I wanted to be. I, I didn't think I was allowed to be. I was supposed to be a puffed up pastor. And just wearing it made me, me tense up. And so I wonder if the same thing happened to Esther. I wonder if there in her royal finery and her royal robes when she got word about why Mordecai had changed his clothes, was wearing sackcloth and ashes, I wonder if she felt that, that same tension of who she was and who she found herself to be 
Because Mordecai asked her to tell the king to try and save her people, but Esther, in her palace finery, in her royal robes, said, no, I can't do that. There are rules here in my new life. Who am I to come before the king? Something like that could get me killed. That's dangerous. That's out of character. I'm not that kind of woman. That's not the woman I've become. And then Mordecai, though, he shot back with those words that Reverend Gilmore shared with us last week, right? Who knows? Who knows but for such a time as this? And when she heard those words, Esther Esther changed. She changed her heart, and she changed her clothes. She put on sackcloth and ashes, just like Mordecai, just like every other Jew in Persia, just like her people. And if I wonder, I wonder if if those clothes, those Persian royal clothes, then if they had changed her and not for the good, she had dressed up, looked up, looked like, acted like, and maybe started to think like Persian royalty. And in the process, had she forgotten where she came from, who she was? Did she lose herself in her puffy robes? But then did she find herself in sackcloth and ashes? A symbol of mourning, a symbol of her people, Did those ashes bring her back to herself? Just as we pray that the ashes we we put on at the beginning of Lent at Ash Wednesday, just as we pray those ashes will bring us back to ourselves. And think of it. Even the act of wearing sackcloth and ashes in the palace? That's huge. That's epic. That's not something we've seen Esther do before. We've we've seen her do what Mordecai told her to do. We've seen her dress like the king wanted her to dress. We've seen her scared to see the king unless he invited her. And now, Esther breaks all the rules. You remember why Mordecai can't cross through the gate, right? Because you can't go near the king if you're wearing what? Sackcloth and ashes. Esther is in the royal quarter. She's about as near to the king as you can get without standing right in front of the king. And what does she do? She breaks the rules. She puts on sackcloth and ashes. No one told her to do this. For possibly the first time in this book, Esther does something that nobody told her to do. No one told her to break these rules. And yet she does. She reclaims her Jewishness. She reclaims her identity as a child of God, as God's chosen. And for three days she lives in this symbol of mourning and death, before she reemerges, resurrected, ready to do what God has chosen her to do. And so on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. Only this wasn't the same Esther. I mean, the people looking at her, they may have seen the same old Esther. 
They may have seen one thing, right? Ahasuerus is beautiful queen, dressed in Persian finery, willing to do what anyone asked of her. But that's the old Esther. The Esther under these robes, she's wearing Chuck Taylors. <laughs> or in my mind, you know, like maybe underneath the robe, she's got a bit of sackcloth, maybe an ash smudge over here just to remind herself of who she really is. And this Esther, this Esther tells the king how it's going to be. <laughs> this Esther doesn't just control her own fate. She controls the fate of the Jewish people and the fate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. You know, people often wonder, did you all hear this at the beginning? Like, she holds this feast. She invites the king and Haman to a feast, and they go to the feast, and what does she ask of them? Come to another feast. What's the point of the first feast? It's a feast about nothing, right? I think in a way, it's that symbol of the new Esther, right? That I am in, in control of who I am. I can order a feast. I can order a second feast. Just like the king at the beginning of Esther. No one's telling me what to do. I'm in, I'm in control. And just how much does it show us that Esther has opened herself up to a God that will use her now to do greater things? So yeah, it's funny how the clothes we wear can change us. You know, it's funny how the world around us can pressure us into dressing one way clothing ourselves in ways that don't match the person God created us to be. And that's why we start the season of Lent with, with ashes. Because this is the season to remember who we are. It's a season to remember how God wants us to clothe ourselves. You see, the, the, the world may encourage us to clothe ourselves with finery, with the finer things often made by poorer and poorer hands these days. The world increasingly and Facebook increasingly may encourage us to clothe ourselves in outrage over everything or anger or pride or division. The world may encourage us to clothe ourselves in success at the expense of others, to clothe ourselves in indifference to suffering, to clothe ourselves in those stereotypical ways that make other people comfortable because we're dressing like our gender says we. I'm dressing like the little girl I am and you want me to be. I'm dressing like the little boy I am and that you want me to be. Or the ways our social class or our race or our place say we should dress. The world may encourage us to clothe ourselves in ways that help other people categorize us, classify us, pigeonhole us, box us in. I just need to look at you and I know who you are because of what you're wearing. The world may encourage us to clothe ourselves in ways that reflect how other people see us, but not how God knows us. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, we know ultimately there is only one uniform for us. There's only one set of clothing we're called to wear. Paul told us how we should dress. Did you all know that? There are clothing guidelines in the Bible. 
It's in the chapter, or it's in the letter to the people of Colossae. Paul reminds us, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, what do we do to ourselves? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love. Anybody wearing love today? (laughs) Which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, it doesn't matter if you're wearing fancy robes, puffy robes, or puffy shirts, sackcloth, ashes, Chuck Taylors, or Jimmy Choo's, I had to look that one up, blue jeans, or sweatpants. Or if you're wearing shorts in the middle of winter, as long as you're wearing compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love, above all love, that's what God wants us to wear. And here's the thing, by the way. When you dress that way, you may stick out (laughs) like a man in sackcloth and ashes in the middle of Susa. In fact, in today's world, I dare say if you're doing it right, you're going to stick out. (laughs) If you're truly wearing compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love, you will stick out. Your light will shine. Kind of like a couple of guys dressed up like Batman and Robin (laughs) in a sea of blue sport coats and khaki pants hanging on a wall in a fraternity somewhere in Indiana. Who knew that would live on (laughs) forever? Amen. Amen. Amen.